0: As Dave said, my schedule uh, is a little back and forth for a while. I'll be up in Rock Hill, still have a couple of sermons to finish uh, there, a couple of Sundays. Uh, And then I'll be down here in uh, April every Sunday. Uh, You could pray for us in that transition. Uh, This is the first time in my 20 years of marriage that Lisa and I are going to be away on a regular basis. I'll be down here three or four days a week. And then back up there for a couple of days a week to see Lisa and the boys uh, so I'd appreciate your prayers in that transition and also your prayers for the sale of our home. Uh, as those of you who are in real estate, you don't even have to be in real estate. It isn't a good market. Uh, so we had a friend encourage us the other day and tell us that his house has been on the market for two years and he's had two showings. <laughs> Love friends like that, don't you? <laughs> but see, all that does is it builds right into what we're talking about today. Anxiety. Worry. Fretting. Any of you guys worry about things? Man, I do. Uh, Your hands get going. Maybe you're sitting there at night. Your thoughts just don't shut down. Maybe you pace. Uh, Maybe you have to go on long car rides out in the country. I don't know what it is, but you have to deal with your stress. You deal with your anxieties. You deal with your worries. We were living in the mountains and came home one day. We were having our basement redone. family member had given us a very generous gift for us to be able to do that, to give a little more living space for our growing boys. We got home and the newspaper headlines were that a young contractor in the community was now incarcerated because he had gone on a binge that weekend with crystal meth and had committed murder. That wouldn't be that big a deal unless it was our young contractor who we'd already paid a substantial amount of money to and now we were out all of our money, and we had a basement that wasn't going to get completed. To top it off, I walked out into the little shed barn that we had, and the door had been kicked in, and all of my tools had been stolen. Because one of this guy's workers found out that his boss had just gotten incarcerated. He realized he wasn't going to get any money, so he figured, well, I'm working for a preacher. I know where they are on Sunday mornings. So he went to our house, kicked in the door, took a bunch of stuff, I sat there, it was real strong in front of Lisa and the boys, you know, good dad. And I walked into the barn, and I just cried. I said, God, how, what, what are you doing? We don't have any money, and now we really don't have any money. I don't get you. How are we going to do this? How are we going to, how is is this going to manage? I didn't get any answers. I got a phone call, though, later that week. And it was a woman on the phone. And she says, is this Reverend McCutcheon? I said, yeah. She said, I read in the local paper that you'd been broken into the police report. And I said, yeah, that happened. She said, well, that young man who was your contractor is my son. And I know that you're probably very angry with him, but I was wondering if you'd be willing to go down to the jail and visit him because he knows that he's ruined his life and he doesn't know what to do. And I was just wondering if maybe you'd go down and and talk with him. Of course I will. He didn't start his weekend thinking he was going to go on a binge and murder somebody, ruin his life and the lives of others. He's got hooked. So I went down and I talked with him. And that conversation led to a couple of more conversations. And I was able to talk with him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he committed his life to the Lord. And he said, I know that my life's going to be behind these bars. But at least maybe my life will be for Christ. And one day there won't be any bars. I said, that's awesome. Well, I went to church the following Sunday. And a bunch of our friends kind of got together after church. They said, "And my, one of my closest friends, big old mountain guy had this little grin on his face. He said, I want to show you something in my truck. I'm thinking it's some dead animal. (laughs) And I was like, cool, all right. So walked out there. It was kind of odd because all our other friends were sort of standing on the sidewalk watching this. So I'm thinking it's a, a prank. And he opened up his truck. And there was a new chainsaw and a power saw and a table saw. Every tool that I'd lost, all my friends bought for us. I bought the Sears brand. They bought the Husqvarna brand. (laughs) They got the top of the line best stuff. And as I sat there in amazement, it was as if I heard my Father in Heaven's voice saying, Bill, I've got it. I had it all along. I needed that stuff to get stolen from you so that you'd get a phone call from a desperate mother, so that you'd go share the gospel with her desperate son, so that he'd hear the good news for the first time in his life, and then he'd come into the kingdom, and I was going to get you some more tools anyway. Just trust me and quit being so anxious. And I just looked and was overwhelmed. That's what Peter is saying to us. In his letter in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's saying, especially in verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that one day he will lift you up. He says, let me give you specific, he says there. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, that's a very interesting little grouping of verses there. Greek scholars will tell you that chapter seven, or verse 7 is an explanatory verse. That it explains verse 6. So basically what it's saying is this. How do you humble yourselves? How do you humble yourself under God's mighty hand? Here's how you do it. You cast your anxieties on him. You you throw it all at Him. What we're going to talk about briefly this morning before we come and we celebrate that embrace of God at the table is anxiety. All of us wrestle with it. I've sat with friends in the middle of anxiety attack and panic attacks and it was as if they were gone. You look into their eyes and they weren't there anymore. There was terror and fear. Anxiety comes at all kinds of levels, doesn't it? For some of us, it's anxiety of financial. For some of us, it's relational. This time of year, I know at least in high schools, there's that anxiety of prom. Will I go? Will I not go? Will I get asked? Will that person ask me? I hope not. Or all of those things. How am I going to pay for it? My son's going through the anxiety of two proms because the girl he's asking goes to a different school. So I said, This is wonderful. Now you've got to pay for a tux for two nights, two meals. How are you planning on that? Well, all of a sudden, he's a little anxious. About what he's going to do. We get anxious about all kinds of things. Parents, your kids get anxious. Kids, your parents get anxious. Get anxious about all kinds of things. What we're going to talk about briefly is real simple. First, this point. That anxiety exposes our hearts. Anxiety exposes a deep level of our hearts... When we're anxious, it exposes something about us. Now, I'm going to lead you through just... Part of my role in your life is to help you become better students of the gospel, of the scriptures. So that you're going along and tracking with me and not just needing me or others, teachers, to open it for you. So you're looking and it says, okay, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, casting all your anxieties on Him. What's the opposite of humble? pride the opposite of humility is pride so therefore what peter is saying is if you are anxious if you have deep anxieties if you wring your hands a lot the root of it is your pride the root of it is that you have a heart that's incredibly proud and you'll go bill that does that's not no that's not it The root of my problem is that things are overwhelming, that I can't handle everything, that I need to know what's going on in the future. If I knew what was going to happen in the future, then I'd be okay. What Peter's saying is no. At the root of anxiety is a profound and deep pride. Because what our anxiety exposes about us is it says a couple of different things. First it says this, God, I know better. God, I know that the plans that I have which aren't really working out right now, which I'm a little concerned about, that, I, that are gray, I know that if those plans work out, I'll be fine. And God, somehow, I, I'm bold enough and arrogant enough to think that somehow my anxiety, my ringing, my worry, my fretting, my just pouring it out over everybody else is somehow going to help get there. I was talking about this week with another pastor uh, friend and some of our staff. And I said, how, how would you get rid of your anxiety? And one of our staff members said this, if I knew the future, then my anxiety would be placated. It would be, it, it'd be, it'd be gone. And I said, really? She said, yeah, that would, that would do it for me if I knew the future. I said, what if God told you your daughter was going to die in a year? think I get rid of your anxiety? She said, of course not. I said, no, because what you're saying is this. If the future is the exact future that you demand and that you script, then you won't be anxious about it. She goes, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, I guess that's it. See, our anxieties expose us. What are you worried about? I I wish we had time. Actually, I'm not... I'm not technologically savvy enough, but I wish there was a way that we could tweet up here some things. And for the older generation, I'm not even going to begin to try to explain what that means. But basically, for you to be able to shoot up here real quickly and we could put up on the screen, what are some of your anxieties? What are you anxious about? Because all of us have them. And most of them would be settled with this Lord, if I got that grade, I wouldn't be anxious. Lord, if the doctor tells me this, I won't be anxious. Lord, if my marriage is this, if my loved one does this, if my job does this, if my income is this, if my house sells in this many days for this amount of money, then I won't be anxious. Do you see rooted in there a pride? Because what's rooted in there even more is another subtle but incredibly sinister statement about God. It's basically saying this about God. I don't trust you. And I could do a better job than you. God, it would have been better for me had my contractor not done those things. God, it had have been better for me if I hadn't lost that money, if I hadn't had those tools stolen. God, I have a better plan than you do. And what you need to do, God, is consult with me before you go on doing your thing. Now, most of you would go, Bill, we would never say that. We would never do that. You might not say it, but you live it. You think it and you feel it. Most of us do. The problem with that? Peter says God opposes the proud. God says there is one type of person which I really can't stand to be in their presence. And that's those who are so proud and arrogant that they think they don't need me. I don't want to be that kind of guy. But I live that way and think that way and emote that way regularly. Because deep down underneath, our anxieties, our wringing of hands, our fretting, our pacing, our acting out, doing whatever, taking things into our own strength. is really a deep and profound statement of saying, God, I know better than you do. Job wrestled with that, didn't he? We heard from Job when we were talking about our confession of sin. Job wrestled with that. He said, God, I I know better. He sounded really good at the first of it when his wife said, just just curse God and die. Well, Job sounded incredibly spiritual there. Woman, no, of course not. But then through the course of it, you realize Job was incredibly proud. And he thought that what he knew was more than what God did. And then there's that passage when God comes to Job and he says, now Job, we're going to have a little man to man conversation. I love how the New American Standard says it. Gird up your loins as a man and come out here and talk to me. (laughs) The God of the universe speaking and saying, you seem to think that you have a better plan than I do. You seem to think that you have it all better than I do. Let's talk about it. Let's compare our plans. Let's compare who we are. And he says to Job, Job, just answer me a couple of questions and then I'll be willing to entertain your thoughts. Where were you when I said to the mountains to rise up and to the valleys to lay low? Where were you when I said to the oceans to come thus far and no further? Where were you, Job? And Job realized his problem. He says he repented. He says, "Woe is me." See, our anxieties expose something about our hearts, and it's something that's not good. There's a deep-rooted unbelief and pride and arrogance that goes in it. Now, here's the remedy to it. This isn't. Those of you who come from different backgrounds, I know sometimes we pick and we joke about being Baptist or, or other backgrounds. That doesn't really. It doesn't matter at all. If you come from a Presbyterian background, you're used to three points in a sermon. You're only getting two today, so I'm cheating you. But the third point is right here. It's a tangible point. So if you all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, I've got anxieties, and those anxieties are rooted in a deep and profound disbelief of God's goodness and a disbelief uh, about His willingness to care for me and an arrogance of my own ability to determine my future, what do I need to do? How do I humble myself? How do I do that? Well, it's sort of hidden in here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He hates you? Because He cares for you. The only way you're going to begin to wrestle with an arrogant, unbelieving heart is to look back on the Father's heart over and over and over again. Keep turning back to it. Keep looking back. Letting it constantly bathe you. Constantly coming back and saying two things in this. One, there's an issue of sovereignty. Part of a belief system within Scripture says that God is in control of all things. R.C. Sproul, the theologian, said this. If there's one renegade molecule in the entire universe, then God isn't God. Because that renegade molecule can determine its own future. It can then stand up against God. So God is sovereign in control of all things. Now for some of you, that doesn't give you peace. But it should give you immense peace. What are your other options? Chance? Fate? Fate? Destiny? I gave you a quote by Stonewall Jackson. Some of you from other parts of the country, he was a southern general in a war. My mother was from New York City. She went to private school in Virginia back in the 1930s. And she was one of two from above the Mason-Dixon line. And the teacher came to her and this other young woman and said to him, Now, ladies, if you plan on passing this history class, you'll keep your mouths shut while we speak of our most recent unpleasantness. (laughs) This was 1930-something. And the war between the states was our most recent unpleasantness. Well, Stonewall Jackson was a general. And I'm not worried about his affiliation with any side other than the side of Christ. And Stonewall Jackson was a profound man of faith. He was questioned by a captain about bravery said, how is it that you're so brave? How is it that they call you Stonewall? How is it that you could lose use of one of your arms and yet you still have no fear in battle? And look at his response. Captain, my religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to always be ready, no matter when it may overtake me. That's the way all men should live and then all would be equally brave. you realize what he's saying? I believe in the absolute sovereign hand of God. And I am as safe on my horse in battle as I am in bed because the scripture says God has numbered my days. And I can't do anything to add one span to it. You could stay in South Carolina and Charleston or you can go to India. It doesn't matter. One is not more risky than the other if you believe in the sovereign hand of God. And there's no anxiety in either of them if you believe in the sovereign hand of God. That He says, I've got every bit of your life held together. John Piper's mother was killed when a truck in front of them was carrying lumber, and a piece of lumber came off of the truck and went through the windshield and killed her instantly. And someone came to Piper and tried to console him by saying, That wasn't God's will. Piper fell on the doctrine of sovereignty and said, if my God isn't in charge of a four-by-four on the back of a pickup truck, then he's not worthy of being my God. God has to be in charge of those things or else you're left to what? Well, that presses you a little bit further. Okay, Bill, I've got the sovereignty thing. God's in control. But I know that God has the ability to do it. But now your question really becomes a question of belief of will he do it for you? Does he have your best in mind? Think about this passage in Isaiah 49, 15. It says, can a nursing mother forget the child at her breast? The answer would be no. Even though you see instances of it, the general answer to that is no. And God says, even if she did, I will never forget you. Basically, God is saying this. Not only do I have the sovereign ability to take care of you, I have the deep fatherly love that wants to take care of you. I have your best in mind. Your future is in my hands. And you're my child. And whatever you face in the future, I promise you, it's best for you. Be it prosperity or impoverished. Be it health or infirmity, be it long life or death, be it suffering, whatever it is, you can trust that it comes from the hand of a father who says, I love you. And this is best for two things, for your good and for my glory. So the question really becomes this, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Are you willing to lay aside your pride and your plans and your schedule and your timelines and your outlook and your day timer and your date book and all of that stuff? Are you willing to set those aside and say, God, whatever comes, comes. And I trust you in the middle of it. Why be worried about tomorrow? Each day has enough concerns of its own. My mom used to comfort me as a child and say, Billy, why are you worried about tomorrow? Don't you know that God's already in tomorrow? What a great comfort. God's already there. Isaiah says he's planned the steps for you to walk in beforehand. You can trust him and know that he's there. And preach the gospel to yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, we need to listen less to our hearts and preach more to them. Listen less to your anxieties, listen less to your heart and emotions and preach more to them. What do you need to preach to it? Preach this table. As we come to it, I want to encourage you on a couple of things. This table is a table that says, Jesus Christ died for you. Now, some of you, again, come from backgrounds that say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ died, but He died for any who would choose Him. Folks, that doesn't give me any security at all. Because I read in the Scriptures that says my heart would never choose Him. What we believe that the Scripture teaches is that Jesus Christ died for you. Not to make it possible for you, but to make it real for you. To take it and apply it to your heart. And so if God loved you so much that he was going to crucify his own son for you, how much more do you think he's going to care for you each day? So when you start to get anxious, turn back to the cross. When you start to fret and worry, turn back to the cross. And let that cross overwhelm you. To say, you loved me this much, I can therefore trust you today. And I can trust you tomorrow. And I can trust you into eternity. For I will see my Redeemer. For He lives. And one day we'll see Him face to face. Let's pray. Father, we do come. And we praise You and thank You. For all of Your glory and all of Your goodness. Father, forgive us for our anxieties. They come with our human frailty. We don't beat ourselves up because of it. But we acknowledge our weakness in it. And instead of just hiding behind, well, we're human, everybody does it. God, we want to own those things and get down to the root cause and see that it is our hearts which are deceiving us. Father, would we see the beauty of the gospel, see the beauty of a cross and know that you're in control of all things. And not only do you have the desire, and not only do you have the ability, but you have the desire to love us. And so we come, and we break bread together today. And we serve you and celebrate you as you serve and celebrate us. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great hymn, Let Us Break Bread Together. Let us break bread together. On our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh, oh Lord, have mercy on me.